governance isn't about, I got, I'm going to get you, I'm going to let you go. I don't want to make people mishear me. Governance is making sure that if you're doing well and exceeding peer, we're going to run you your cash. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 224 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Anson Cooley to the show. Anson is the founder and principal of Synergy Credit Union Consulting as well as a speaker and expert contributor to a host of financial publications and we recently shared the main stage at the CU Leadership Convention in Las Vegas. I greatly appreciated the perspective he shared about the future of financial brands, as well as his take on creating content as a leader. Welcome to the show, Anson. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Before we get into, we got a cornucopia of conversation on our plate. Cornucopia. I love it. I love it. What's good for you right now? Personally, professionally, it's always your pick to get started on a positive note. Um, I'm feeling blessed. Uh, I got uh, four beautiful children, beautiful wife. Uh, the weather is actually beautiful here in uh, sunny Chicago. Uh, sunny Chicago, right? Uh, it's about 76 degrees. I'm on uh, the back end of visiting my mom and dad in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Just left the uh, Louisiana Credit Union League Conference. And so I'm feeling refreshed and uh, ready to uh, jump into the third and fourth quarter. I'm feeling refreshed too, as as I messaged you right before I said, just give me a few minutes. I said, my four kids, they all went back to school today, and so my wife and I we had a coffee date uh, to you know celebrate that. It's been a good summer, uh, but it's time mm-hmm. for a new mm-hmm. season, and I think in each season we find moments to celebrate uh, when we move from one season to the next. So I, I like where you're at, and when we connected earlier this summer it was at the cu leadership convention in vegas right and we were sharing the big stage together and you opened up with with some thoughts that really just they energized me they fired me up and i think it was the story that you told it was a story where essentially you came back it was anson cooley the third right yes it was my uh my grandson yeah so you came back from the future to give a warning to financial brands in the present moment. And I think the timing is right for this. I just saw an article uh, shared by Jim Maroos. It was some thinking that Jeffrey Pelcher uh, had shared about the ever-growing decline of financial brands. Mm -hmm. And it really echoed what you were talking about. Let's start here. Like, What's the warning? Like, like, come back, if you will, from the future. Right. Right. Tell us what's ha- what what you what you foresee. Essentially, so the the, the concept, and you know, we had the, the the two minutes, and I wanted to see how I can be dramatic in that moment. And I guess the subject or the setup was I was pretending to be my grandson, who is the third owner of Synergy Credit Union Consulting, 
and he's coming back from the future in a future where there's only 40 credit unions remaining. And uh, I think it was in some way, some 80, 88 to 100 years from now. Mm -hmm. And I, I posed it to the audience, you know, do you think that's unrealistic? And at the current rate in which we're losing credit unions right now, we're losing to forced merger mm -hmm. about uh, 25 to 30 per quarter. Yep. And you can get that information from the NCUA's website. I mean, in 2010, I believe we had about 8,000 credit unions. Yep. Eight, and now we only have about 4,900 credit unions remaining. And uh, that trajectory is not sustainable if you want this movement to exist in the way in which it was intended when it originated, meaning people helping people in a very, uh, you know, smaller communities and being able to serve the need, unique needs of communities in different zip codes. Okay. Yes. And so the premise was, was that they had ran some simulations and they said, if we came back to this moment in time in 2022, we could maybe slow down the erosion of the numbers. And the warning was essentially around brand equity. If we could improve our brand equity, if we could improve our enterprise risk management, and if we could drastically improve governance mm. in credit unions, those three things would have pushed off the decline and we would have had a lot more credit unions remaining in the future. Yeah, and, and that really is just... It, like I said, it echoes so much what the headline of this financial brand perspective is. Half of all banks in the U.S. will disappear in the next 20 years. So by 2042, we'll see about 2,000 banks. And that's all banks. You know, that's not credit unions. But and the projection is very similar to this as well. I want to come back to your point about brand equity. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Why? Why Why do we need to start paying attention to this now? And this is one where we might, we might this will be the first opportunity for us to uh, lace up, all right, from a debate standpoint. There are companies, you know, and we might call them fintechs or whatever. I distinguish fintechs. There are companies that are fintechs that create new and unique technology that allows institutions like banks and credit unions to do things smarter, faster, better. And then there are fintechs, in my opinion, in name only, that are just better capitalized and have better marketing departments. Yes. <laughs> but they're not actually adding any real new value from a technological workflow standpoint to give them an edge. And so, and what would be, what would that look like? If I, I can do one or two things. I can run an amazing campaign that lets my members know that we have a solar panel loan. Okay. Yep. And if I run that campaign, letting them know I, they would come to me first for the loan, or I can partner with a FinTech who is now at the top of the funnel through their marketing and their payments into Google ads. Mm -hmm. And then they bring me a portion of that solar panel loan. To me, that's not the most advantageous fintech relationship because you could have did that yourself mm -hmm. because you're funding a marketing department yep. and you could have created, you're giving up. They didn't come to you for the solar panel loan. They went to the what? Fintech 
or that other group first. And now you're just providing the funding and not and squeezing your mark. You're servicing it and you're creating and you're not getting the same margin. So credit unions giving up brand equity by not telling their stories in a manner that creates emotional connections to their brand that makes that potential member want to make them their primary financial institution. If you have their checking account, you are their primary financial institution. And if we have that, it creates other opportunities for cross-sale, cross-selling. And so th that's what I mean by, uh, in my opinion, in terms of um, credit unions having more of a brand equity problem than, uh, in my opinion, an economies of scale problem. I would agree with you on that. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about a new book that's coming out, one that I think you might be interested in. It's by Allison Netzer and Liz High. They're going to be coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. It's called Think Like a Brand, Not a Bank. Because I would agree with you, it's the fintechs and maybe even dive a little bit deeper into that. It's the neobanks who mm -hmm. have done a tremendous job of positioning within the marketplace. Um, a lot of the same things that credit unions offer, even down to the point of quote unquote membership. But it's it's the neobank that has established and made the deposits into the consumer's mind, emotional deposits, that when they have a need or they have a problem, they're thinking neo or fintech, where credit union, we do the same exact thing. What has gotten us to this point in your perspective? You spend a lot of time with leaders in credit unions and or these organizations. How did we get here? How did they get here? Credit unions versus banks. Credit unions started off in seg groups. And so the notion that you needed to uh, market, if you if you were mm. the police officer credit union, yep. they knew where to come. You didn't have to worry about Johnny or Mike or Mary on the street because you had this this group that knew if they came to you, they would receive favorable um, um, terms. And, you know, if you were post office credit union, think about it. If I'm a lender at a post office credit union, I know when you get paid, I know where you get paid <laughs> and I know where to, I know where to find you. That's like, for I, I use this example in my presentations, that's pond fishing. I can perch fish in a pond because I know most of them are lined up between two and five under that shade tree all the time. But once a credit union makes the transition from pond, lagoon, or lake fishing and go into the wide ocean from being an individual seg mm -hmm. to a community charter, now, I don't know where you, I know where you work, but you may not have that job because now that company may go out of business. That company may have layoffs, whereas, Post office may not have as many layoffs. The U.S. government, the, the different governmental entities that make up the largest of our credit unions do not, in my opinion, succumb to some of the ups and downs of the economy that other institutions have to deal with. And so what they never learned how to do, in my opinion, is how to look at, to do what fintechs are doing to kind of bring it full circle, is customer segmentation and yes. how to speak directly to unique buyer personas there's two new fintechs i forget one's called like daylight and yep. i think michael render uh killer mike has a new um bank down in atlanta that they're working on this is 
these are whole companies where I feel the, the mission is about segmentation and seeing people. Yes. So if I feel seen on your ads, if I feel seen on when you mail something to me and daylight being, a, uh, and I don't want to butcher this, but um, uh, it's a, it's a app that caters to the LBGTQ community. And I, I might've butchered the, the, that, but that's who they cater to. What's stopping the credit union down the street from running the, a campaign by saying we see you too mm-hmm. come nothing stopped them right but what they said is you know what you're unwilling to service them so i'm going to create a whole business around a segment you refuse to see so that's a strategic decision that those companies and those credit unions and community banks have made that create concentration risk reduce brand equity and reduce market share these are consequences that you have for ignoring um, full segments of people. You know, that's a great example with daylight. And I've been talking more and more about the idea of niche. It's almost back to your point of seg, select employee groups. What is old is new again. Um, mm-hmm. Seth Godin really predicted this back in 2000. I think it was like 10, 11, when he wrote a very easy to read book called We Are All Weird. And it was the decentralization, if you will, brought on by the internet to where we can search out these, you know, niche likes and, uh, you know, find people who think like us and have the same purpose and belief structures. And I think it's the differentiation that that we celebrate. We can celebrate the differences that we have. And to take that even further aspiration aspiration aspiration.com a a brand Mm. that is all around providing financial services for those who want to uh you know uh prevent climate change even looking at their positioning Mm -hmm. on the website you can change climate change so there's a whole narrative there's a whole story that goes really really deep and it's not just a loan it's not just a credit card it's not just a checking or spending account bank md um, out of San Antonio, Texas, Community Bank uh, launched Bank MD niche market. What's going to hold financial brands and their leadership teams back from really making the transformations needed to focus on creating value for these maybe niche audiences, these niche communities, or just you know increase the brand equity? And where does brand equity lie? We could look at that as an asset, but the, the, the challenge there, it's an intangible asset because the brand yeah. equity is in the mind of an individual. Going back to coming from the future, the one other component to that was governance. Ah, yes. Meaning um, if I don't have accountability or if I'm going to get the same paycheck and same bonus for not delivering you exponential or better results, why do I have to seek out new and innovative hmm. ways to grow? So I'll give you an example. And this is what uh, in some ways makes me cautiously optimistic about credit unions. There's a credit union up in the Northeast right now. They, um, before and after the pandem- pandemic, um, you they did not have loan growth. Income was flat went down during the pandemic here on the other side of the pandemic. They're not doing well either. They're almost a billion dollars, but they're attached to a government seg. And so things float along, right? 
they pay their bills, but it's not progressing. You try to point this out to someone and you're the pariah because uh. everything is floating along. Unless with credit unions, the only thing that changes credit unions is a visionary leader that has self accountability and pride about what they want to do and how they want to push forward the institution or top down pressure yes. from their boards. And often the boards, the volunteers love them, don't have either the requisite knowledge, skills and ability mm -hmm. or time to create the top down pressure that makes a CEO and a senior management team say, hey, if we don't pick this up, improve income, create growth, mm. innovate, we're going to be out of here. No, there's no, there's in a lot of instances, there's no consequences. The group that I'm mentioning, they are lower than below 25% peer loan growth, wow. below 25% net income, but high 25% in salary and bonus. Yes. That's not sustainable no. for the industry. It'll get that group through to their retirement. But how do we how do we sustain our credit unions when not everyone is a government seg? If that was happening at a community credit union smaller, they're going to have a forced merger placed on them. And so governance isn't about I got I'm going to get you. I'm going to let you go. I don't want to make people mishear me. Governance is making sure that if you're doing well and exceeding peer, we're going to run you your cash. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. Because I want to keep you, because I saw you, because you're delivering value back to the members who I'm accountable to as a board member. I'm not accountable to you, John. I know I like you. I know Nancy. I love your kids. But... I have an, a larger accountability to these members who've selected me to be what? To lead them as a director. I have to set my relationship aside with you and say, hey, why, why you say you, you're mentioning that we've been not doing well because of the pandemic. I get that. But in that peer group, there were 400 other credit unions. Why are we bottom 25th percentile won't weren't those other credit unions in the same pandemic as you yep. what's the problem and so people struggle with having everything is a uh, human humanistic in some ways <laughs> and a lot of times humans struggle with uh accountability and therefore they struggle with governance structures oof you're really you're, you're tapping into the whole next book which is banking on change because it's the mm. it's any type of transformation, there was an HBR article that was recently published on this that Audrey, who's our operations lead here, shared with me. Any type of transformation is emotional. It's a, we're, we're emotive beings. And I think, I want to get your take on this just personally. Um, mm -hmm. You've seen a tremendous amount of change in your career in the industry. Mm -hmm. And you've looked at it from a lot of different angles. How do you personally 
deal with all of the exponential changes going on at the present moment so that you personally don't get trapped in the cave of complacency. And I think that's where a lot of us get trapped. We become complacent because we've been quote unquote successful, but the, the, the past is no longer a predictor of the future, particularly when there's exponential change happening at an exponential rate. What's your take on this for yourself personally? I got, so I started my firm 11 years ago uh, after working for a CPA firm and I landed my largest client. It was a large institution and it made up 70% of my revenue. Leadership changed. All of a sudden they left. Tremendous and I risk. Realized it's a gorilla client. Yeah. I did that. And so what I realized is, is that uh, you can never rest on your laurels and that uh, you, the best way to be ready for change is anticipate it yeah. and flow with it. They say, what do they say? Be like water mm. um, and just kind of move with it and, and embrace it and just be flexible, be meaningful, like just kind of constantly sharpening your saw so that when it comes you're ready for. So it's just about uh, not whining about it, being flexible and welcoming the positive side of whatever that change is, is going to be because accepting the game, the game is the game. And um, there are going to be new entrants into the market, new technologies, new firms, new competition, and just accept it as the game that you're in, the thing that you signed up for. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great mindset. It's, just love the game and love playing the game. And I think, you know, entrepreneur myself, 20 years ago, I started this thing. I was a sophomore in college, so I was probably young and All dumb right. enough to not know what I didn't know and experienced a tremendous amount of failure along the way, a lot of heartache. But it's every single one of those lessons I'm able to take forward with me to be even better than what I was before as a leader. Um, and I think, I think what you said, too, I want to come back to is the idea of a visionary, visionary leadership mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. able to see what others are not able to see. Number one, to bring the future into the present moment. And then number two, provide inspiration, provide some hope, provide some optimism uh, and, and a path forward. And there's a difference between, I think, visionary leadership and then just we'll call it management because management is to make sure that things are running correctly in the present moment. We have to have both sides of the coin. A visionary leader needs a strong manager and a strong manager needs a visionary leader. This is written about Gino Wickman um, in his EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. And uh, mm -hmm. it, there's another book too with Mark Winters called Rocket Fuel. Uh, every mm -hmm. visionary needs an integrator. Every integrator needs a visionary where might there be an opportunity to inspire more of these dynamic rocket fuel-like relationships? It might not necessarily be, you know, 100% entrepreneurial, but maybe it's entrepreneurial. Right. Entrepreneur is definitely the way to do it. Uh, one of the things that I'm working on right now um, with a credit union, we're trying to create a talent pipeline. Ah. And they recognize that, you know, with remote work, there's a, they're losing people either because there's certain areas that they're unwilling to do remote work for, or just people that they're even, they, if they're in areas that they're 
open to do remote work. Somebody just wants to take another opportunity. I can stay here in my Snuggie and work for a company in California and just, you're, you're fine. I just want to do something different. Mm -hmm. How do you backfill that? And so what, what, one of the things that we're doing, we're creating a type, uh, uh, a talent pipeline. Like how do you get a person from a call center to a BSA analyst, from a teller to a commercial lender internally? Yeah. And in doing that, it's this, and this is what I mentioned to the, um, the HR professional that I'm working with, we're starting a business within your credit union. Uh, I need you to accept that because I think I could see her, is this going to work? Are they going to buy into it? I don't know. I have the structure, but I know that what we have to do, not just deliver this, we, have, we don't just have to deliver the, the process, the output. Guess what else we need to do? We're going to have to what? sell it yeah that's what makes us entrepreneurial our ability to develop design the product but also sell it which in other words get the buy-in from the stakeholders who are going to have to be the owners of um uh this process so innovation gets tossed around and around you know around around a lot it's really um when i think about a visionary um if i was to say it another way it's a humble observer of the now Okay, a humble observer of the now, meaning most of the time when people are visioning, they're observing a problem yes. or with, with some humility. I mean, I don't understand this. Why is it this way? What if we did it another way? And then they step, in my opinion, when people, what they miss about visionaries is that most visionaries are standing on someone else's shoulders. And that's why I say a humble observer, what, where we're at now, but they do have a vision of how they can add to it in some uh, meaningful way. So a humble observer of, a of the now who has a vision for how they'd like to add to it. To make it even better, it's not to say what we've done up to this point is bad, but I like the word to make it not better, to make it even better because that pays homage and respect to what we did to get to this point. And I like your point. It's like, you know, visionary standing on someone else's shoulder once again to see what others aren't able to see. But back to your point, it's the here and the now, it's the pattern matching. It's pattern matching mm -hmm. common people problems causing common people pain and then having a, the mind of a curious kindergartner to ask why through obviously very, very respectful ways. And, and then to your point, inspire, sell, influence others to begin to see what they see. And then you get some groundswell to this. I'm, I'm going to go off the path here. Like I said, a cornucopia of conversation, because mm -hmm. I think a key trait to communicate a visionary perspective is to be a confident communicator. Um, yeah. And there are tremendous new ways to leverage communication as a leader, whether that be the leader of an organization or like you said, a commercial lender, that commercial lender can then be a visionary leader to their prospective accounts, their prospective members. Um, mm -hmm. And you're doing a tremendous job of this, as a, and there's this whole creator economy now that's been bubbling up and mm -hmm. people are having conversations about. You're, you said this before we hit record, content. Content mm -hmm. is so key to communicating clarity. Content is to help people see what they can't see. Content is key to communicating mm -hmm. confidence. 
but you said something here because I think back us up of how you got to this point as a leveraging digital technologies video mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. that I don't see many leaders and lenders using at this point in their day-to-day activities. I see a tremendous opportunity. They're not there yet. So let's roll back how you got to this point and how has this allowed you to leverage communication at scale? As an entrepreneur, I realized that I couldn't be everywhere at once and I needed to find other uh, revenue streams. And then also as a small business, I also realized that I did not have the uh, budget at that time to do a lot of, uh, you know, I I took a bid out maybe like seven years ago, group in Chicago to shoot a three minute commercial. They came back $6,000. I was like, no, I can't do that. Not for one. You know what I mean? Maybe you give me a pack of like 10, maybe, but they, you know, of three, I couldn't do it. And so I went to YouTube University. And I think that, so you say I had a problem. And I think where some people, somebody listening, not, I accept the fact I have a gift. I'm going to push through. And I think one of the things that in my own imposter syndrome that I work through is speaking about what, what you're gifted at. When I realized that I had a wall, I said, you know what? I'm going to teach myself how to do this. And so I worked on YouTube, bought the equipment, and over seven years leading up into the pandemic, I was trying to perfect this, like you trying to get this so you can see the different iterations of how the video production has improved. Yeah. And what I think that if I grew I'm a eight, I'm 41, my 80s baby. And so when you when I when other people sometimes look at video, you think about it like that's what stars do. That's what people who have money, they, they create production. No. I think video digital creation will be as ubiquitous as pen and paper. My children and my kids, I'm making them learn Adobe Premiere Pro and things of that nature. It's the same way I'm making them learn how to read and write because it's a tool of expression going forward digitally, period. It's not this thing segmented to this adept group. No, you just start Realize that it's going to be a long journey. You're going to screw up. You're going to look silly, sound silly sometimes, but you move forward. And I think if organizations just embark on the journey of digital creation and putting themselves out there and not trying to hide behind, well, I'm snooty, you know, I'm CEO of this. No, I, you know, I have a credit union CEO. I'm telling her right now, what I want you to do is just get on every day and talk about what you like to eat in the town and just be yourself. She's a beautiful personality. And most people are going to say, oh, you're a hoot. And people are going to start walking up to you in a grocery store and say, hey, I love I eat at that same place on Rogers Avenue. And then they, it's going to turn into a conversation or, hey, can I, who are you checking with? I don't know. I just check with the bank down the street or whatever. Oh, how about you come I can help you. It creates opportunities to feel seen and for people to connect with you in your uniqueness. That's what digital content does for you. It allows for you to connect with people who are for you and who isn't for you. They can stay away. Yeah. You know, and so I just it's 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 starting. It's being humble. It's being open to failure, but also realizing that on the other end of it is beneficial for your your organization and it does not have to have this um, high quality veneer for your message to be received by your your potential end consumer. For the for the dear listener, I'm going to recommend 
to see a leader doing this. Keith Costello. Keith Costello, 65 mm-hmm. years old, uh, CEO of the new locality bank out of the uh, Miami, Florida market. And he mm-hmm. literally, he gets his phone. He's walking to work. He flips it on. He records. I mean, he broke the whole, you know, rate increase thing almost in real time. And he has about, I don't know, 25, 30,000 people that follow him on LinkedIn. And if you think about this, you're like, oh, well, I don't want to be an influencer. And I think, once again, we're the same, literally the same age. I turned 41 into the month. And so we have seen things. We know what the world was like before digital, but we've mm-hmm. also, we didn't grow up in it per se, but it, it, the internet was there, man. 1994, uh, there was a Good Morning or Today Show segment where the anchors were talking about the at symbol of the email. What's the at mm-hmm. symbol? And I was, I don't know, 94, I was like seventh grade. Seventh grade. I remember logging on to the internet back then. And it was probably, Prodigy. yeah, it was probably sixth grade even because <laughs> I would go up to my dad to work with him because they had the internet and like I'd connect with people in these chat rooms and we talk about baseball cards and things like that. So it was like 93, maybe even. Wow. Wow. And I just remember like I, how much this was going to change things. I couldn't articulate. I was seventh in seventh grade, but mm-hmm. July, I think it was July 6th, 1994. What came out? That was the day that Bezos founded Amazon and people at the time mm-hmm. would have said, Oh man, you're crazy. No one's going to buy anything online. No one's going to buy books. No one's going to buy shoes or clothes or any of this stuff. Like, it w- But then and what happened? We know what happened. Right. 1995, right. May 18th, 1995, it was the day that Wells Fargo launched online banking. No one's going to bank online. It's not safe. It's not secure. And I think it's the same thing right here as a leader, as a lender even, to have the courage, to build the courage to commit to use these new communication tools. And I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for you as a father, really empowering and encouraging your children to learn these tools because that's all they are. It's like what Gutenberg did with the printing press. This is the same type of thing, and we're living it in real time. It is. And now it's it comes down to local community. Because if you're in a local community, there's no better way to communicate with with your members and your account holders and become more personal, to become more real, not hide behind the the, the C-suite. Be out with the people, right? um, When I, last week at the Louisiana Credit Union League's convention, I gave out some marketing awards and they showed some of the videos that some marketing departments have created. And one of them where they were just walk, they just videotaped themselves walking up to the local gas pump and paying for people's gas. Mm-hmm. Just and and it, but you could you could literally see the emotion. Really, gas is expensive, of course. And who do you who do you bank with? And and most of the time, people don't know why. Like they don't have a connection yes. really to who they're doing. You meaning meaning I can, you know, I can make that real easy for you. I can, you know, you, we, I care, we do this. We help the local boys and girls club. You meaning you could, your money, if you bank with us, change your mortgage to us. I know you're busy, but just by doing business with us, you enable us to stay alive, stay, stay functional. But then also we take some of what you do, you give us and we help the community. Yep. So you can just go do what you're doing, but all you need to do is just come in 
next Tuesday, take about an hour, maybe not as fast as Rocket Mortgage, maybe not as fast as Wells Fargo, but there's got to, you know, we, we're getting there. But if you just give me an hour, hour and a half of your time, I can switch that out and you can feel good about who you're banking with. That's it. Yo. That's all I'm really saying people need to be willing to do. And to the extent that somebody's um, on the other end of this line, just go, well, I'm not doing it. Okay, cool. That person can have and be grumpy to the extent that there's not top down pressure mm. making them do it something else. Yep. And if there was top down pressure, if they felt, hey, you know, our strategic objective said for the last two years, we need to improve checking account growth. We need to improve members outside of our indirect lending channels. Mm -hmm. Then you would be looking around for how you can do it yeah. short of that pressure short of governance uh rewarding people who do do it well we're gonna be in the same we're gonna be in the boat that we're in right now and i'm seeing to, on the community bank side i'm just in the community bank side there's more in my opinion more incentive that's where you see that juxtaposition between community banks and credit unions meaning if i have a management team and my money my grandpa's inheritance is in that bank and you over there not innovating right <laughs> not doing your job if i have the largest share i'm gonna walk up in that boardroom and be like yo you gotta go mm. that's the difference that's some of the differences between community banks and credit unions with credit unions that ownership structure is is cooperative yep it's shared between thousands of people and but it's consolidated into a few who do not have direct monetary ownership of the organization. And so they creates a different um, accountability. Whereas again, community bank, hey, yo, my stock price done went down. Whose fault is that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that that's that's my, because um, I used to be, I know I used to be a bank examiner. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I regulated uh, community banks all up and down the Southeast. And so I have, a, I think, a, a unique perspective on the differences between community banks and credit unions. I like the idea of accountability. And Anson, man, this has been such a, a fantastic conversation, a cornucopia, if you will. We've covered a cornucopia of conversation. We have. A gumbo, if you A will. gumbo. Exactly. <laughs> okay, you're just coming back from, from New Orleans, from Louisiana. Absolutely. A gumbo of conversation. A gumbo of goodness. As we wrap up here, because we've covered so much, I like the idea of accountability. And I always want to yeah. want to help hold the listener accountable as best that we possibly can and just set them off with one small action that leads to positive transformation. And I say small because every you know, journey of a thousand miles starts with a simple step forward. What's the, what's the one thing that you would recommend that they do next? Journal. I journal. I have, I don't know, 20 of these scattered throughout my office. Um, I go through maybe like three a year and um, journal, journal, turn, you know, be, just write something down, how you feel and where you're at, where you want to be. So that how you, you know, what things you want to improve on, write it down and then reflect on it every now and then. And, and so that you can go back, I can go back to 2014 and say, Hey, I said, I did say I was going to start a YouTube channel and I did it. 
You know what I mean? You can go back and you reflect. So one small action, you don't have to be this kind of book. It doesn't have to be written. I prefer it being written. Uh, it does a couple of things. It encourages you, but then also selfishly, you're leaving breadcrumbs for your children, whoever comes after you to kind of know who you are and what you were doing at that point in time in your life. I think that journaling has um, done, a, done a lot for me because there are moments when you get lost in the dark and you can find your way back because you remember you were had, you've had better moments. You know, uh, there's so much stoic wisdom and in banking on change, I have an entire chapter that I've written about digital stoicism. And you look mm -hmm. at some of the greatest thinkers and leaders, um, Marcus Aurelius, right? With his book, Meditations, um, he, there it is. You've got the book. You're holding the book up right now. Meditations. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the man, most one of the most powerful men of his time in the entire world was dealing with the same exact things that we're struggling with in 2022. Yep. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Thank you so much, Anson, for the conversation. If someone wants to continue the conversation Thank with you. you, how can they best reach out, connect, and say hello? You can find me on LinkedIn. Also, our YouTube channel is creditunions.training. Please make sure you uh, subscribe, hit like. You can find my name on um, Anson Cooley, A-N-C-I-N-C-O-O-L-E-Y on YouTube. Our website is uh, www.syncuc.com. That's the credit union website. And our banking website is www.synbc, synergybankconsulting.com. We provide strategic planning board training, enterprise risk management, process development, as well as loan review. And so if you need any help with those services or just want to chat, give me a holler. Connect with Anson, learn with Anson, grow with Anson. Anson, thank you again, sir, for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.